We have a good crowd for a Wednesday night. Appreciate you being here. As we look at the subject of premillennialism, I know most of us are familiar with it, and although we may not have personally studied it in depth, uh, we're all familiar with it, and we're familiar with the idea that the premillennialists have as far as Christ coming back to set up a kingdom on this earth for a thousand years and reign, and but there's a lot more to it, and I tell you, the more I study their views, the more confused I get, because it, their doctrine is very confusing. They don't, there are some variations of their own beliefs. Uh, you have amillennialists, you have premillennialists, and uh, postmillennialists, and dispensationalists, and it goes on and on, and all of them uh, have a core as far as what they believe, but then it scatters out from there. And you would wonder, well, why do we need to study such uh, in our world today? Well, the reason is the majority of the world believes it. And if we're going to help people understand the truth, uh, we need to know something about it. I'm, I'm not telling you that we need to become experts in their doctrine or their beliefs, but uh, we do, do need to know where they are coming from. And, of course, the majority of those who uh, believe the premillennial view cannot tell you, they cannot explain things to you. Uh, they can quote or repeat what they have been taught, but they have no idea how to explain it. Uh, and premillennialism is not a new doctrine. It goes back a, a ways. Uh, as a matter of fact, I have a book called Jesus is Coming. How many of you have that book by William Blackstone? Well, Mr. Blackstone lived in the 1800s, and he wrote this book, and in reading the book, you can see how that they have misunderstood and misapplied Scripture. And it goes back to the book of Daniel and Ezekiel and uh, Jeremiah and those books, but mainly the main books that they, they refer to uh, are uh, the, the book of Daniel and the book of Revelation. Now, that's the book, their view on the book of Revelation, that's where it really gets complicated because when you start looking at the verses that they pull out of Revelation and start explaining about all the seals being opened and it represents this and it represents that, yeah, it, it'll wear you out trying to you know, keep up with you know, where they're coming from. But we need to be aware of this and we don't have to know their whole doctrine to refute it. We can take... Uh, the ver some of the verses that they use or some of the ideas that they, they have and show how that they're contradictory to biblical teaching. And you don't have to have a lot of verses to see where someone's wrong. And if they're wrong in those verses, their whole doctrine is wrong. Uh, of course, I'm not saying that everything they believe or teach would be incorrect. They believe in Jesus. Well, that's correct. They believe Jesus to be the Son of God. Well, that's correct. But the way that they treat verses uh, will show us that they don't know what the Scriptures teach and that their beliefs actually contradict the Scriptures. Uh, I have the privilege of teaching premillennialism this session over at Greens Lake Road, and my thought going into the class as far as teaching it was try to make it simple in the, in the sense of how things are laid out because they've got different things happening and 
many people are familiar with the rapture. Many people are familiar with tribulation, uh, the thousand years. But how do these things line up as far as their timeline? When are these things supposed to take place? And what I have found in studying denominational doctrine is a lot of those who believe in premillennialism also try to predict when the end of time will be. And, of course, the modern people, such men as Tim LaHaye, was predicting the end of the world back in the 80s. And, unfortunately, he's still out there (laughs) doing the same thing. He missed it back then, and he's still out there. And people will continually look to people like that. They will always come up with why that they missed it. Remember just in the last year or two, uh, the, the gentleman, Mr. Camping, well, when he missed it the first time, what did he do? He came up with a reason why. Well, we didn't see that over here. Uh, we missed it or the timeline was different or something. They always have an excuse why they didn't hit it. And, and I always love these premillennialists that talk about the end of the world. The end of the world is about ready to end, but yet they still want to sell you their tapes and their books. <laughs> if the world's about to end, why do I need your book? Why do I need your tapes? Because it puts money in their pocket. But I don't doubt the sincerity of the people who are premillennialists. They believe with all their heart that these things are correct. Uh, And usually when a person comes out of the world of sin and they become religious, one of the first books that they want to study is the book of Revelation. And if a person has no basis of biblical knowledge, it's easy for them to believe those things that are said because they seem so fantastic, they seem so right and so real. It's got to be real. And once they're locked on to it, uh, any kind of a a religious belief, and I I don't know if it was uh, in Jim's invitation or tonight when we were taping, that you said something about people coming to the Bible with preconceived ideas. you know. So we, we taped for an hour over there, and then he gave the invitation, so my, my head's kind of... I know he said it, though. <laughs> uh, but that's what happens. People come to the Scriptures with preconceived ideas. It makes it very, very difficult to convince them otherwise. So I wanted us to look at a few things tonight. Uh, I think I'll be uh, teaching again next Wednesday night on, on this. Uh, but uh, the, the session that I have at Greens Lake goes for eight weeks, but I don't think, <laughs> I'm not doing eight weeks here, I don't think, <laughs> but uh, I, I tried to bring this down to a simple way of understanding the order because they still have the Battle of Armageddon that they try to get in there with the tribulation and uh, and all that, but a couple of some of the main things that they teach right off the bat, and, and hopefully I'll have time to to get through these. If not, I'll continue with them uh, next week. But uh, premillennialism is the view of the last things, which holds that the second coming of Christ will be followed by a period of worldwide peace and righteousness before the end of the world. It is called the millennium or the kingdom of God, during which Christ will reign as King in person. The doctrine of premillennialism is based on Revelation 20, verses 1 through 6. And it's interesting how they view that, and we'll hopefully get to to see what is not there. 
you know, oftentimes we're looking at the Bible to see what is there. Well, sometimes we look to see what is not there. But the doctrine teaches that Christ will be visibly present during the thousand years while reigning over all the earth in an age of peace and prosperity. After this 1,000 years reign, Christ will mount a final rebellion against Satan, enter into his last judgment, and finally usher in the eternal state with its new heavens and new earth. Uh, The purpose for a 1,000 years reign is to allow for the fulfilling of several promises that God made to Israel the Gentiles, and creation. And it's mainly the uh, promises that God made to Israel. See, they still they throw a lot of things to the end that have already been fulfilled in a lot of the prophecies. And oftentimes, these, you know, prophecy can have a dual meaning. And when we look at a lot of the prophecies that they look to, those things have already taken place and they dealt with the children of Israel, not with what is going on in the future. And also when we look at uh, the book of Revelation in the very beginning, John talks about those things that must shortly come to pass. Now, and you can go and do a word study on that phrase or those words, and you will find that they do not mean any extended period of time. How far are we past uh, the writing of the book of Revelation? Even if you take it to the late date, some say early date, some say late date, which was in the 90s, how far, along, how far down the line is that? You know, we're in 2014. It's been over 2,000 years. I, and and 2,000 years does not fit into the definition of shortly. So basically everything they look at in the, in the book of Revelation uh, is toward the end of time. And... Uh, they really turn it around where the book of Revelation is mainly symbolic and figurative. They turn it around and make it almost 100% literal. And that's part of the problem with them understanding uh, uh, plain Scripture because they have been taught that everything deals with uh, all the things that are going to take place at the end of the world with the rapture and the tribulation and those things. Uh, Their belief contradicts Scripture in so many places. And it's hard to get people to understand that. But, you know, that is a way that you may have in getting into a conversation with someone, helping them understand that that belief is wrong and that and if you can do that, they may listen to you. And when you tell them that the Scripture is correct in this area or that area, they may listen a little more. Of course, I mean, we, we don't help ourselves by just going up accusing somebody and telling them, well, your doctrine's wrong. You know, you need to believe something else. You need to believe the truth. Well, that may be true, but who's going to tell them the truth? So it may lead into an opportunity to teach someone the truth. Uh, but some of the things that premillennial teaches it teaches that God has guaranteed to restore the Israelites to Palestine and that not until then will the kingdom of the Old Testament prophecy be established uh, before his death Jerry Falwell of course Jerry Falwell passed away a couple of years ago I think uh, and he was connected with Liberty University I think it's up in Virginia West Virginia somewhere but he was involved in uh, a campaign to raise money to send Jews back to Palestine. And, main, and, and a lot of it had to do with Russian Jews. 
I was thinking the other day with uh, the things that have recently happened with Russia and the Ukraine, how these premillennialists must be going crazy because they say that there are so many signs in the Bible that point to these different things in World War III and nuclear war. Yes, they even bring nuclear war into the picture, and Russia's involved in it, and so they, they, you know, their head must be spinning with all these things, thinking that finally these prophecies are being fulfilled. Uh, but we know differently. Uh, another thing it teaches that Jesus intended to set up his kingdom while he was on earth, but it was not possible because the Jews rejected him, forcing him to establish the church as a substitute instead. And when the Jews are ready, he will come again and establish his kingdom. It teaches that the righteous dead will be raised when Christ returns and that the unrighteous dead will be raised at the end of his reign at least a thousand years later. It teaches that after his second coming, he will reign with his saints over all the earth for a thousand years, and this is based on Revelation 20, verses 1 through 6. It teaches that Christ will return to rule from David's throne in Jerusalem, which implies that Jesus is not reigning from David's throne at this time. Uh, the coming of Jesus to offer the kingdom to the Jews. It teaches multiple resurrections. It teaches about the rapture and seven years of tribulation. And we, talk, we hear about the, the uh, seven years of tribulation. That has, they figure that off the book of Daniel. But we also, within that, and we don't talk about it much because we're, we divide the rapture and then the seven-year period of tribulation, it actually is a seven-year period of rapture in a way because Christ is going to come back with his saints, and that's, you know, their beliefs. Uh, but, you know, there's so, so many other things that this doctrine teaches that are incorrect, and the majority of the religious people believe this, and we know what happens when you follow a false doctrine. These people are going to be lost. Uh, of course, uh, some of them you will never be able to reach, but that shouldn't keep us from trying. There have been television programs that have been dedicated to nothing other than premillennialism. They don't deny it. They, they don't deny their beliefs. They don't, you know, they call themselves premillennialists. They don't have any problem with that because, you know, they feel that what they believe is uh, biblically correct. So, but... Uh, we know that these things are false according to the scriptures. Uh, and it, it is sad that people are led astray because of that, but it is the case. Uh, so we're going to look at these and try to, to uh, show how the Bible actually contradicts them. <laughs> the train's active tonight. I'm trying to tell us something. <laughs> uh, as we look at the very first one, it teaches that uh, God has guaranteed to restore the Israelites to Palestine and that not until then will the Old Kingdom, uh, Old Testament prophecy be established. Well, that has to do their belief with the land promise. You know, when uh, God promised Abraham and uh, promised them land, they say that land promise has not been fulfilled. That's why they have to gather back. All the Jews are supposed to go back to Palestine when all this stuff starts happening. Uh, but we find that Joshua tells us that all these things have been fulfilled, that the land promise has been fulfilled. Brother Guy in Woods, 
has a good little book called uh, The Troubled Middle East. If you do not have that book, you might want to get it because it helps you understand what's, why all that fighting is going on over there now. It's over land. But the land promise has been fulfilled. Joshua 21, verse 43. And the Lord gave unto Israel all the land which He sware to give unto their fathers, and they possessed it and dwelt therein. That one verse alone destroys the idea that uh, Israel is supposed to inherit the land. Uh, And back in, I want to say, 1948, Israel was recognized as a nation, I guess in a political sense, among society or whatever. I don't know who recognized them, but the premillennialist believes that figures into all of this happening somewhere down the line. But we see right here, just this one verse alone, that God fulfilled His promise. It says they dwelt in the land, they possessed it. Now, if that's not enough, we look at Joshua twenty-one forty-five. There fell not of any good thing which the Lord had spoken unto the house of Israel, and all came to pass. It tells us once again, everything that God had promised at that time had come to pass, dealing with the land. Joshua twenty-three fourteen. Ye know in all your hearts and all your souls that not one thing hath failed of all the good things which the Lord your God spake concerning you. All are come to pass unto you, and not one thing hath failed thereof. So those verses tell us very plainly that the land, had, the land promise has been fulfilled. But yet the premillennialists say that that promise is still yet to be fulfilled. Uh, Nehemiah 9, verses 7 through 8. Thou art the Lord, the God, who dis- chose Abraham, or Abram, and brought us him forth out of the earth of the Chaldees, and gave us him the name of Abraham, and found us his heart faithful before thee, and made us a covenant with him to give the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, and the Perizzites, the Jebusites, and the Girgashites, to give it, I say, to his seed, and has performed thy words, for thou art righteous. I am sure that when premillennialism is taught, that they never cover these verses because it would contradict what they believe and what they say. Now, I said earlier that I believe these people are sincere, and we know that there are some who are not sincere, who teach for money and uh, teach to have a following, or teach to be popular, and so on and so forth. And they would most definitely not teach in a way that would contradict anything they said. But most of them teach out of ignorance. And one reason is they're never shown these for whatever reason. Uh, It may be they do not look at these verses. And, of course, there are other verses that go along with that. But uh, If you notice, though, this goes back and deals with the Jew. How is God's plan now? Jew and Gentile. So they're heavily slanted toward the Jews. Yes, some of the things they teach include Gentiles, but basically everything that they're dealing with is slanted toward the Jews. Of course, that would leave a lot of us out, wouldn't it? Because we're not Jewish. (laughs) And of course, most people who are Jewish are not Christian. 
And by that I mean the Jews do not accept Christ as the Messiah. Now, you have those who are Jewish in lineage and have converted to Christianity, but as far as the majority of the Jews, they still do not believe that Jesus is the Messiah. And that's no different than some of the other groups, Muslims, uh, probably other uh, religions over uh, in Asia and those places that do not name Christ as Lord and Savior. But there is no longer a distinction between Jew and Gentile, right? That's because Jesus broke down that middle wall of partition that now we're spiritual Israel. We're the spiritual Jews in a way. But yet their slant is toward the Jews mostly. Uh, as Paul says in Romans two twenty-eight and 29, For he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly, Neither is that circumcision, which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew, which is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, and not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. Uh, at one time, the Jews were God's chosen people. But we, the church, we're the chosen people of God now. We are the Jews inwardly, because we accept God and follow God as the Jews were supposed to do. And, and some did. Oftentimes we'll throw a blanket over the whole group and say, well, they didn't follow God. Well, you can go and read about John's parents who followed God. Yeah. And other devout Jews that followed God. But uh, we oftentimes throw a blanket over and say, well, the Jews. And, of course, we, we know what we're talking about, but somebody else might not know. So, uh, but there are other verses that show that we are spiritual Israel, that there's no longer a difference between Jew and Gentile. That's one of the reasons that Christ came to uh, this earth, to make everybody of one body. So, the land promise and uh, going back to the Jews and leaving out the Gentiles or that whole battle between them now over there goes back to those promises. Not only... In, in the fact, I'm sure that many of those over there that are fighting over the land may not even be premillennialists, but through their generations and through their heritage, they've been taught, and that's why they're fighting. They're not. Some of them probably don't even believe in Jesus, especially to come back and sit on the earth for a thousand years, but it's the land that they're fighting over. That's what they want. Uh, premillennialism teaches that Jesus intended to set up his kingdom while he was on earth, but it was not possible because the Jews rejected him, forcing him to establish a church as a substitute instead. And when the Jews are ready, he will come again and establish his kingdom. And, and that's something that puzzled me, when the Jews are ready. The Jews are not going to be ready. When, and, and they talk about a seven-year period of tribulation where there, people are, in a sense, the Jews especially, are going to have a, a second chance to accept Christ. And then there's supposed to be all this, uh, and they divide the seven-year tribulation up into two parts. The first three and a half years is supposed to be the milder part. Things will change. People will still be on the earth. And, and you know the idea of the rapture, that people are just going to be taken away. You know, be driving in the car, and the righteous person is just going to be taken away. Nobody will be left in the car. And it says... Their loved ones and relatives and all that are going to wonder what happened to them. <laughs> but oddly enough, I saw on the internet one time uh, how to survive the tribulation. 
That was odd, right? You know, what are you going to do if you survive the tribulation? Aren't you, if you're a righteous person, aren't you supposed to go up? And if you're not a righteous person, you're going to be stuck in the tribulation. And uh, what gets me is the second half is supposed to be the battle of Armageddon and all kinds of things break out. And all. Why would you have to do that for that length of time to get people to convert? And that's part of it, to have those convert during that seven-year uh, period. Uh, dealing with the Battle of Armageddon, and uh, they've got uh, two witnesses that are going to be on the earth during that time trying to convert people, but there'll be no Christians there. See, uh, all the saved are going to be raptured, so that means that those people left on the earth, they're not Christians, they're not saved. But yet, there's supposed to be two witnesses that are going to come and try to convert them all, and, and you're going to have people who convert uh, they're called tribulation saints, and they're going to convert. And yeah, I mean, it gets crazy. It gets crazy. But we see here that uh, Jesus intended to establish a church. When I look at all the, all the prophecies concerning Christ going to the cross, see, their belief is that, well, Jesus was rejected, and that's why he was crucified. Is it not biblical fact that Christ was prophesied to be crucified? Wasn't it prophesied that the church would come into existence? If they're correct in what they believe, what does that say about God? God couldn't see that coming? God was taken by surprise, so he had to come up with something else. Do you want to serve a God like that? Do you want to serve a God that couldn't see it coming? No, that's really an insult to God. But we have so many verses that, that show that the church was to be established. Even Christ prophesied that, right? Matthew 16, 18. I will build my church. But they say the church is an afterthought. Doesn't sound like an afterthought to me. What about what we find in Ephesians, the third chapter? I think these two verses, Ephesians 3 verses 10 and 11 really show the lack of diligent study on their part to know about the church. We'll turn over to Ephesians 3. I think this should forever settle the idea that the church was an afterthought. And yet prove to us that God had always had it uh, in his mind. Actually, we can start back up in verse 9. And to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world, notice that, from the beginning of the world, hath been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ to the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God, according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Those verses right there should ever, forever settle the idea that God was taken by surprise. It has been in God's mind from eternity. And yet they say that it was an afterthought because the Jews rejected Christ and they did not let him set up his kingdom. Uh, it's unfortunate. 
that they believe that. My time's getting short. Uh, move on to the next one. It teaches that Jesus and uh, whoop, wrong page. Teaches that the righteous dead will be raised when Christ returns, and the unrighteous dead will be raised at the end of His reign, at least a thousand years later. There's two resurrections. Uh, how many resurrections does the Bible teach? It teaches one. Uh, turn over to John, the fifth chapter. You can see how elementary these things are. It doesn't take a Ph.D. to show how uh, doctrine is false. It just takes studying and knowing God's Word. Uh, as Jesus says here is recorded for us in verses 28 and 29, Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in which all that are in the graves shall hear His voice. Shall come forth they that have done good, unto the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. Uh, The idea of the rapture has the righteous being resurrected. Of course, they'll call it a rapture, uh, being caught up, separate from those who are evil. What about the uh, parable of the tares, the wheat and tares? Remember that parable? Anyone... Does anybody want to tell us what that parable is about? You know, Jesus oftentimes explained the parable. And in doing so, in that particular parable, he talked about the wheat and the tares. What what did his, or what did the servants want to do with the tares? Take them up. But what did Christ say? That they would grow together till the end of the world. That's the, that's the idea of that, the good and the evil going to the end of the world. Well, their, uh, their idea contradicts that because we're going to be raised together, both good and evil, going back to John 5, 28, 29. Uh, so when we see that, we can see that there are some other things that are are connected to when Christ comes back, right? Let's turn over to uh, 2 Thessalonians. Part of their idea is that when the rapture takes place, those that are going to be raptured, it's going to be quiet. It's going to be secret. Nobody's, Nobody's going to know about it. Uh, I find that would be kind of hard to uh, take place since the Bible says that uh, looking at verses 7 and 8, 2 Thessalonians 1, 7 and 8. And to you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I don't think when Jesus comes back with his mighty angels in flaming fire, it's going to be quiet, do you? Now, of course, they have their rebuttals to these things in saying, well, that's not talking about when Christ comes back. Because they have Christ coming back three times, two or three times. You know, he's coming back for the rapture. And then at the end of the tribulation period, he's coming back again. So that's at least two other 
and the two times that he's coming to this earth. He's already been here once. <laughs> so it would mean Christ would be coming to this earth three times. Yeah, of course, coming as far as uh, being born and living on this earth. But let's go back to 1 Thessalonians and verse uh, chapter 4. And this is where they get the rapture idea. Verse 17. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up. Now, the word rapture doesn't even appear in Scripture, but if you look the word up, the definition gives a, a, ca- a carrying away. Or, but yet, they're the, someone has come up with that idea of the rapture. I don't know where they, you know, oh well. But he says that they shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and shall so and, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Now, if their idea of quietness secretly being raptured, I think they should have backed up and read verse 16. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. I think that's noisy, don't you? <laughs> Would you take that as, you know, quiet or noisy? We know that it's symbolic, you know, in the sense of the, the trumpets and, you know, it, it represents something. But it is true that the Lord is going to come back. And we look at verse 17. And we're going to be caught up with the Lord and then we'll appear at judgment. But their idea is, and once again, they'll throw this, where it talks about in verse 16, they'll throw it to the end, to where Christ comes back after the seven-year tribulation. They'll say that's when all that noise and everything, everybody's going to see Him then. Of course, we know that we're told that uh, every eye shall see Him when He comes back. So their idea of uh, a quiet rapture and the fact that only the righteous will be raised at first. Jesus put that to rest as we read in John 5, 28 and 29. That all will hear his voice. All will come forth. Good and bad. Jesus does not make a separation there. There is no time separation whatsoever. That's going to happen together. So, and... Uh, We can see that the scriptures refute that. Now, I want to hit on this one right, right fast. Uh, because this has to do, we, we have the uh, idea of the thousand years reign. And they base that off of Revelation 20, verses 1 through 6. And we'll look at that next week. But I, I want to cover this one right here. It teaches that Christ is not now on David's throne of the Old Testament prophecy, but that he will occupy that throne when he returns, ruling on that throne in Jerusalem over an earthly kingdom. Now, that's their idea when Christ comes back for the thousand-year reign, that he's going to be on David's throne. Okay, a literal throne, that's, and that's the, the case, a literal throne. Turn over to Jeremiah, 22nd chapter. That's Old Testament, right? (laughs) And when we read this, in a moment I'll let you know what some people have, have said as far as trying to get around this verse. 
But, uh, and, I, and I would encourage you to go back and read some of these so you can get a better idea of what's going on in the context here. Uh, this is dealing with uh, Coniah, or Jeconiah. He had different names. Uh, but let's back up, uh, look at verse 28. Uh, is this man, Coniah, a despised, broken idol? Is he a vessel where, wherein is no pleasure? Wherefore are they cast out, he and his seed, and are cast into a land which they know not? O earth, 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 hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord, write ye this man childless, a man that shall not prosper in his days, for no man of his seed shall prosper sitting upon the throne of David and ruling any more in Judah. Now, what happens is, is people don't do diligent study. They don't have no idea who he's talking about. You have to understand, we, we oftentimes wonder, why is that genealogy in Matthew? You know, when in all the names, in, in, in uh, Luke. Why are those names there? They're there for us to be able to understand better who's who and what happens and all that. How many, I wonder how many times people just pass over that. Oh, I can't pronounce those names. I'm not even going to read that. Are they important? Yes, sir. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm slow sometimes, but, you know, I try to get around to it. <laughs> I'm slow, just ask Brenda, you know. <laughs> uh, but, yes, Coniah, the uh, curse that was put on him, and then his descendants, it says no descendant of his would prosper sitting on the throne in Judah. Okay? And, of course, when we look at prosper, that means a successful uh, reign. And that's what Christ would be looking at, as they say, a thousand years of peace and prosperity. Uh, In other words, he would be successful. But here, it says that no man of his seed would ever prosper sitting on the throne. Now, people say... And we look at that lineage, and Joseph is in there. And they say, well, see, Jesus wasn't really the biological son of Joseph. So therefore, it doesn't apply to him. Well, they're trying to do an end around, right? What about Mary? Mary is a descendant of Coniah, too. And And Jesus is a biological son to her. So therefore, it applies to Jesus. And also, the fact that uh, it talks about Christ being a priest on earth. Could Christ be a priest on earth? Why couldn't Christ be a priest on earth? He's not from the tribe of Levi. He's from the tribe of Judah. And you might say, well, what does that have to do with anything? It has to do with their belief that when Jesus comes back and sets on the throne for a thousand years, they're going to reestablish the old law. Sacrifices and all that. Well, he can't be a priest under that law. He's not from the tribe of Levi. So therefore, and I can guarantee the majority of the people who believe that, they don't know anything about that. Yes, sir.
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, but it, it goes back to that land promise and the fact that that land, the land promise will be fulfilled in Christ going back and sitting on the, the throne of David for a thousand years. All the Jews will be going back and Israel's going to be reestablished with God and everything's going to be, you know, hunky-dory for eternity. Well, that's not what the Scriptures teach. But you're right, many people do that. Uh, whether it's with Oral Roberts or whoever, they, they're working to get the Jews back over to Palestine, over to Jerusalem. So, uh, but you're, you're exactly right. Okay, well, we'll continue, continue this next week. And if you have any questions, uh, just hold on to them and think of any. <laughs> okay, who has closing prayer?